It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, the cost of living and everything rising in prices, particularly when people are going to do uh, their weekly are some. I heard some woman on the news last night saying she shops daily uh, and she finds that that's a way for her to save uh, money. Uh, some people are breaking it down into smaller shopping trips. Other people prefer to do just the one big shop and hope that that one big shop is going to last for the week. But everybody is noticing how prices are going up in the, in the supermarkets and the supermarkets that are price gouging and there is a fear that there is some price gouging going on. They could be named and shamed under plans that are now being examined by the government. It's the Enterprise Minister Simon Coveney he was speaking out on this yesterday and he's developing what it has been described as a suite of measures and it's aimed at ensuring that all of the major retailers are not profiteering from customers by keeping their food prices high despite the fact that inflation is slowing and is falling, thanks be to God. He's going to examine whether to introduce new reporting mechanisms for companies and that would require them to detail the margins that they're making on certain products and it's something that I've certainly been spouting on about for quite some time Uh, and I know the Consumer Association have been saying the same thing that there isn't any transparency nobody seems to know from the say farm gate to what a consumer pays for an item nobody seems to know who's making the profits and who's making the biggest profits in along that chain from when an item first starts out to what it's sold at inside in a supermarket. Minister Coveney is also considering plans to force retailers uh, to reveal specific profits that they make from Irish consumers. That's even if the businesses are based in other countries and that's been a problem. A lot of our supermarkets uh, are owned by the head office is outside of Ireland and then at the end of every year they will release their profits but they don't break it down as to how much they made in the Irish supermarkets, how much they made in the English supermarkets, how much they made in the German supermarkets or whatever other country they are based in. So it's very hard to see was there a bigger profit being made say from the Irish customers than say was being made from the UK uh, customers and he's using the word transparency. He said it's about more transparency around who's making what margin and he wants to ensure that customers are getting a fair deal. He said we've seen significant disruption because of the war in Ukraine because of dramatic obviously increases in energy costs that everybody is facing. He said we need to make sure 
that supermarkets now are not taking advantage of that and that they're not delaying reducing food food prices, particularly as fuel prices and gas prices and fertiliser prices, they're all starting to come down. And they were probably some of the key ones at the start with supermarkets saying we have no other choice but to put up prices because fuel has gone up, gas has gone up, fertiliser is uh, gone up. All of those are starting to come down, but yet we're not seeing prices coming down when we go in to do our shop. Uh, Minister Coveney said the game is up was the words he used for retailers refusing to pass on the savings particularly as inflation is receding and he says he's now seeking advice from the Consumer and Comp- Competition Protection Commissioner on how we can they can tackle the profiteering uh, firms. However, the CCPC is warning Minister Coveney against imposing price caps. There has been a call from some that maybe price caps was the way to go with the supermarkets, but the CCPC insists there's no evidence of an emergency or a market failure in the retail grocery sector and they're saying that you'd need some kind of an emergency or a market failure in order for price caps to be introduced. But Minister Coveney is now examining how other countries are addressing similar situations and how they are getting around it. And I know a price cap, people say put a price cap on it, at least people would know how much goods are going to uh, cost. And okay, it might work for the larger retailers, but I know I saw an argument against it because the smaller the local corner shop who really isn't making massive uh, profits, they obviously would have to abide by the price caps as well and they are the ones who would be most uh, affected. Uh, Simon Coveney's intervention, of course, that all came after something we spoke a lot about this week and that was the junior minister for retail business, uh, Neil Richmond. He was calling in, he had this much publicised meeting with the retail uh, forum yesterday. He brought it ahead by uh, seven weeks. But it seems out of that meeting, he failed to secure any kind of commitments from the supermarkets that they would start reducing prices. Uh, Neil Richmond was forced to admit yesterday that he hadn't secured any real concessions from the supermarket chains and said he would not be he would now he won't be forcing them to reduce uh, their food prices and he's not in the position that he would be able uh, to do it the Fine Gael TD said he asked the supermarkets he asked them to reduce record level food prices by the next meeting in June but he said he did not have a stick in which to force them to cut the cost to consumers. So all he could do was say, please, please, please reduce the prices. But if they come back in seven weeks and they haven't, there's nothing really, he's basically saying yesterday, there's nothing really he can do. Now, the Labour spokesperson on finance, Jed Nash, he's come out really strongly. He's accusing Neil uh, Richmond of being all mouth and no trousers in the wake of the meeting yesterday. He said the government seems more concerned with appearing to do something about this issue rather than actually being on top of it and actually using the tools it now admits are in its armory to bring down the super bring down prices at the supermarket uh, checkout. And I also uh, heard the Social Democrats leader, Holly Carnes. She's branded the CCPC as toothless. So I don't think she's going to take much comfort from Simon Coveney going to the CCPC. Uh, and she says it should be asked to examine price controls 
as a possible power to curb supermarket greedflation. She said Neil Richmond is just wagging a finger at the supermarket representatives at the meeting of the retail uh, forum, but has no powers uh, if his calls are ignored in seven weeks' time. Now, the industry lobby group Retail Ireland, obviously they were part of that meeting yesterday. They say that supermarkets actually held off increasing prices for as long as possible last year, but they simply couldn't absorb the massive cost increases indefinitely and that's why we suddenly then started to see prices go up. Uh, Retail Ireland say we expect general inflation and in food inflation to ease as we move through the year. But I mean, as we move through the year, does that mean we're not going to see food come down in price until the end of uh, the year? Now, there is a bit of a price war. You can already see a price war is starting on some of the essential items. And before that meeting was held yesterday, Aldi were uh, confirming that it was going to follow Tesco. Now, they announced yesterday that they're cutting the price of their own brand bread. And this is seen as the latest in a latest price cut in what now is starting to be a price war across the supermarkets and it'll be what's looking like across the supermarket uh, staples. The bread is to be reduced tomorrow by 10 cent. Uh, Tesco were the first uh, to do it and then they were followed by Aldi and I'm assuming all of the others will follow suit and of course it's on own brand bread by the way and of course that follows what has already been happening. We saw the price of milk one supermarket came in said they were going to reduce the price of milk by 10 cent a litre. All of the other supermarkets jumped in and then the last one was last Friday. Price of butter went down again. It took one supermarket to come out and say yeah we can afford to sell butter uh, by knocking 40 cent off the price of a pound of butter. Lo and behold, all the other supermarkets said they were going to do the same thing. So it does look like like there's a bit of a price war from consumers. That certainly is uh, good news. But really, not a lot came out of that. What was a well-publicised meeting of the retail forum. I think people were really hoping that the supermarkets would go in and say, OK, you know, these are the profits. We can now afford to start reducing them because costs are coming down. But certainly there wasn't any type of commitment like that given except that that uh, wording from uh, the retail group uh, saying uh, Retail Ireland uh, saying that, you know, they expect that prices will start to ease as we move through the year. But how long is that going to take? Because we've got families who are already struggling today. Again, watching on the news whenever we start talking about the price of groceries inevitably the you know the tv news uh, news um, producers go to food banks and again to see food banks on our tv tvs last night on our main six o'clock news with you know food banks all over the country saying you know where they might be only giving out food 15 food parcels a week that now, that now has gone to many many multiples because people simply don't have enough what they get every week, they don't have enough to make it last to feed the family for the rest of the week. Food prices have got to start coming down soon. Very exciting day today in uh, Donorell. The Minister of State for the Office of uh, Public Works, Patrick O'Donovan, is going to be in the town this afternoon because it is the uh, official opening of the refurbished first floor of the very stately Donorell uh, Court. And of course, this is the latest phase in the restoration uh, of this 17th century 
century uh, building and um, see Bill Brown, write, Bill Brown writing in the Corkman uh, today that it is the centrepiece of argu- arguably one of the most spectacular and scenic estates in the country. It really is stunning. It was built for and by the St. Ledger uh, family and actually they remained living there until the late 60s and then it passed into the care of the Irish Georgian Society and then it came under the OPW in the uh, early uh, 90s but what of course has happened in recent years is that the building has fallen into a state of disrepair and it was sad to see it fall into such a state of disrepair but then there was a major restoration uh, project on the ground floor opened I think it was four years ago was when the ground floor opened and you know the ground floor anyone that's been in will know it's got exquisite pieces of period furniture and there's some stunning paintings that are were very generously given on loan from the Crawford Art uh, Gallery so when they got the ground floor up and running and open to the general public the main focus then went on the first floor and that's what's going to be officially opened uh, today and the first floor will uh, contain an exhibition of the Lost Houses of uh, Ireland there's also uh, well, the section dedicated to the life of the novelist Elizabeth Bowen and other Irish Cork writers uh, through uh, history and of course uh, Donnerill Court has it's, it's already open now isn't it for the summer season but now the fact that the first floor gets its official opening uh, today. They're expecting even more visitors to the Donnerail estate this summer. So good luck to everyone. It's a, an exciting day for everybody in Donnerail. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie today on C103. Social Justice Ireland is calling on the government to use its recent economic growth to improve the living standards for everyone in society and they say that Ireland's social contract is broken. Michelle Murphy is Research and Policy Analysis with Social Justice Ireland and Michelle joins me this morning. Good morning to you Michelle. Good morning Patricia. And you're very welcome. Now while you say Ireland's social contract is broken, can it be repaired? Yes, yes, it can. I mean, with the right policies, it can certainly be repaired, political will, because we do have the resources to actually improve people's living standards and well-being. Um, even if we didn't have the 10 billion euro at our disposal, we could we could still do it. You know, Ireland is a, is a wealthy country by, by any measure. But I suppose what we've seen is that our... Um, economic progress and growth hasn't really been harnessed properly to deliver for people and for communities. So to address issues like food poverty, energy poverty, poverty in general, to address the issue of the fact that housing is unaffordable now for so many people, that people can't access the GP when they, you know, when they need to get an appointment, if they're lucky enough to be registered with a GP. And it's very hard, particularly someone moving to a rural area to even get registered with a GP. But people can find a place in a school for their child, regardless of the additional educational needs that that child might have. I mean, we have the resources to resolve those issues. The question is, I suppose, if they're a political priority for government and if government is willing to use the resources at its disposable to improve standards for everyone and to prioritise people. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned 10 billion and the other figure that's been bandied about is even higher, The uh, what's been forecast as a budget surplus of 65 billion up to uh, 2026. But yet we've got the Finance Minister, Michael McGrath, talking about future-proving the public finances, you know, creating a new National Reserve Fund. 
it, it sounds like he just wants to put the money away for the rainy day. It does. And I don't think anybody would... Of course they can put a certain amount of money away for a rainy day or for a sovereign wealth fund. We don't have a problem with that. But I would argue it should be a very small proportion one or two billion because the the figure 65 over protected periods so surely they can use a proportion of that projection each year but I mean we have huge problems in terms of housing in terms of our public transport infrastructure our climate infrastructure that's just to name uh, you know a few that it, you know it's on all the other issues that we have as well and so these are one-off windfall revenues that they've received so they should be used on one-off expenditure to address things like our housing crisis, to build more social housing, to build affordable housing, to improve our, improve our transport infrastructure, for example, because that is what would make a real difference to people's lives. I mean, it seems as if in bad times and in good, we're unable. The housing crisis is not new. <laughs> it's been with us for well over a decade. It's just gotten progressively worse. So I don't think people will accept um, that all of the resources the government has available to it should either be put into a, a sovereign wealth fund or used to pay down the debt. And I know the minister is talking about planning for the aging, for pop- an aging pop- population. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the reality is that the things that you, and that's a huge success story, but the funding for that is, is current funding because what you're going to be paying for is the additional, particularly health services people will need as they age. Um, make sure that they can be provided in the community and addition, p- additional pension costs. And you can't rely on a wealth fund every year, you know, because the value, as we all hear on our radio, as the value of your investment can go up or, or go down, down yeah. depending on what happens. So surely we shouldn't be relying on a fund to pay for the pension and, uh, you know, health service and other service needs. Uh, all of us will have at some, you know, once we reach uh, a certain age. I mean, if the minister is really going to be planning for that, then he needs to look at kind of what sort of levels of taxation we need and how you're actually going to raise them. You know, that that's really what he should be doing because a wealth fund is never going to be able to pay all of the costs of, a, you know, an ageing population. That's, that's, that's a, a reality. And to suggest otherwise, I think, you know, is misleading for people. And would, do you believe, Michelle, a new social contract would deliver a vibrant economy that would include everybody in communities? Yes, I do. Um, you know, uh, because it, it, our economy is there. I think people for, forget this. You know, the economy, economic growth or any sort of economic progress, the reason we have economic progress or growth, it's supposed to improve the welfare of everyone. The economy is supposed to work for society. I mean, I think people certainly, it's that seems to be forgotten from the discourse, but, but that's the role of the economy, to improve the welfare of society and to work for society. So if we actually had an economy that worked for people, where the, I suppose, the progress and profits generated by that economic activity were invested back in the community and back into people, then yes, of course we could do that. And we could do it at a regional level as well. Um, because I suppose one thing we have at the moment, Patricia, and this was, it was probably interesting for you and your listeners over the past couple of weeks to listen to the, the I suppose, the debates around the speech the president gave. I think it was two weeks ago now. Yeah. Uh, around economics and then I suppose the, the opinion of economists on that. But I mean, what he said wasn't inaccurate. You know, this obsession with growth and GDP in light of our climate targets, we have to change. And even for most ordinary people, there's... You know, they see headlines like full employment. We are pretty much at full employment now. Uh, You know, record levels of GDP growth since the pandemic. 
but we we have a country where young people can't afford to live here. They certainly can't afford to rent. So they don't need to emigrate because they can't get a job. But they, you know, they're emigrating to have a better standard of living and live somewhere where they can actually afford to live. Um, you know, housing is unaffordable. Services for children with a disability, for example, the waiting lists, general waiting lists are astronomical, but those waiting lists are incredibly long. We're go- again now, probably coming up to September, we're going to hear the stories of people who can't get a school place yet again every year for their child. So there is a big gap between sort of headline economic figures and statistics and people's everyday lives. The reality, um, yeah, the reality on the ground. I mean, but you know, our levels of poverty uh, is increasing. I only uh, referenced earlier, you know, I, 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 it, I, it sickens me that I have to sit down and watch the evening news and to see reports of food banks getting busier than ever because people can't afford to put food on their tables. Yeah. They can't, and there's 677,000 people in this country living in poverty. 188,000 of them are children. 133,000 have a job. Over 144,000 are older people. And actually, that older number of older people has jumped by over 60% in a year. And that should be really worrying for government, because actually one of our success stories has been, you know, since the 80s, we have made progress in reducing poverty among pensioners because we increased social welfare rates. But what you have seen, obviously, and we've spoken about this before, Patricia, when you're on a fixed income and prices go up, you know, you end up having to cut back and if your income doesn't keep pace with that. And so that's why you've seen that huge jump in increase in poverty among pensioners because the prices of food, heating and accommodation, the things you can't avoid have gone up significantly significantly in the past 18 months. Their income hasn't, or anyone on the social welfare payment, their income hasn't kept pace with that. And you're just going to see that number grow until government starts to prioritise people, people on, you know, reliant on the social welfare payment or people in jobs. They can prioritise both. We have the resources to do it. And, you know, the food banks shouldn't be acceptable in Ireland in May in 2023. Absolutely. They absolutely should yeah, not no, be acceptable yeah, that people have to go to food and, banks. And, and as a nation, Michelle, do you believe the majority of people do not want to see this widening in the gap between the rich and the poor? Of course they don't. Irish people don't want to see that. And it it is, you know, that gap is growing. And I think there is kind of a disconnect between, I suppose, you know, our politicians are in Leinster House, they're in a particular environment, even just that sort of bubble in there. So maybe they're not seeing what's going on in communities on a daily basis, but people see it and people don't want to see that gap growing between, you know, people who are struggling to survive and people who aren't. Because most people, they just want everybody, they want a basic, decent standard of living that everyone can have, a basic, decent level of services that everyone is entitled to. That's what people want because it's it's no good for our economy having, you know, a 13% poverty rate because that costs us elsewhere. You know, we're paying for that in other parts of the system. And it means that we're not managing our economy correctly because if we were, we wouldn't have, you know, nearly 13,000 people homeless. You wouldn't have 200 families who've been in a homeless accommodation for two years. Two years, that's children in hotel rooms or B&Bs for two years. That should not be acceptable. And yet, you know, those figures are always released on the Friday evening of a bank holiday weekend in the hope that they won't make the headlines and they'll be drowned out by something else. And, you know, I kind of worry that we almost have become desensitised to these kind of numbers at this point 
And so, you know, we're coming up now, I suppose, to the months where we'll be talking about the budget, etc. And our focus and our message to government is going to be you need to prioritise people, you need to invest in people, you need to invest in the services and infrastructure they need. You have the money. It's time to show that you have a bit of political ambition in this regard. And I think that's the key. They actually have the money at the moment. It's not a case that they need to go out and borrow it. Listen, uh, Michelle, as always, a pleasure. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us. Lovely. Thank you very much. Good Patricia. morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Michelle Murphy, Research and Policy Analyst with uh, Social Justice Ireland. Our social contract is broken. I think a lot of people would agree. Springford Hall uh, Hotel, just outside of Mallow, they'll this evening host a free workshop with the aim of making Mallow an autism friendly town. The event has been organised by Mallow Chamber. And joining me from Mallow Chamber is their president, uh, Sharon Craig. Good morning to Sharon. Good morning, Patricia. And great, uh, great to have you on the programme. I suppose uh, for people who may be not very aware of what this term means, describe what is an an autism friendly town or an autism friendly community. Describe what's meant by that. An autism friendly town. What our aim is tonight in our workshop is to get educated on how we can make our businesses autism friendly. So and then business owners and their employees obviously would require some kind of training, is it? Oh, certainly. We have Adam Harris from As I Am. He is presenting to us tonight. So it's to give us to give the businesses uh, um, an opportunity to see what sort of tools, what training that we can put in place. And and a lot of it, I know from speaking to other areas who, who have done this in the past, a lot of it is just kind of practical things, isn't it? It's just practical recommendations that businesses need to take on board. Yes, Patricia, but like like everything, unless, unless we know, unless we get the education, unless we get the tools on it. And there can be actually simple, simple, um, simple uh, procedures put in place. But a lot of people, as you mentioned just there earlier, wouldn't be aware. So our aim from our workshop tonight is to, um, for Adam to present and show us the tools, advise us and bring us along with them. And of course, you work, people in Mallow will know you, Sharon, you work as a, as a florist in Mallow. Would you see, particularly families maybe with an autistic child, struggling when it comes to being out and about? Oh, certainly, Patricia, like um, there has been an increasing, increasing awareness of autism and how this has come along is within our business community. Many businesses have told us they would be very interested in learning more about autism and how to make their businesses more autism friendly. Because yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a win-win for everybody, isn't it? Oh, certainly, certainly, Patricia, like most people, and most families now, somewhere along the way, have been touched with autism. Yeah, or they know they they they, they know yeah. they know somebody because it's un- unfortunately I don't know whether it's to do with it's it's the diagnosis is getting better, uh, but there seems to be a, a proliferation of children being diagnosed with autism. It is definitely on the increase, so it's something we all need to be aware of. Oh, definitely. We all need to be aware of, like just from my own personal situation, I have a sister that has two uh, kids with autism. She's living in Australia. So I'd be aware of 
of her needs when she's out and about, even though she's in a different country. So it's just to bring it, it's to bring it to ourselves. It's all about learning and simple steps can actually get a lot achieved. Yeah, it's not that it's going to cost businesses a huge sum of money to invest in this and, and to become autism friendly. No, certainly not. Certainly not. Um, and it's like everything, once you have the tools, once the procedures in place and for employers and employees, it makes it a lot easier. So who are you hoping will attend this evening? Is it, is it just for chamber members, Sharon? No, this workshop is aimed at businesses who are interested in getting advice on simple, as I said, practical measures that can be implemented in their business. And it's to be more accommodating to the autistic community. OK, well done, well done, because I know other towns and certainly I would have spoken with uh, probably the, the most well-known is Clonakilty, because I think they were the first, weren't they, to become an no. autism-friendly town? Yeah, Clonakilty was the first town to become autism-friendly. And we have looked at it from a chamber point of view. They have provided a very strong fr- framework um, to see what works. And autism inclusivity has become a focus in a lot of areas. And, and only rightly so. Everybody needs to be included in society. And it is the small changes, isn't it, that can make the big differences it's, here. It's like everything. It's the small changes and the tools to help us along. And like it's to build on the knowledge and experience of others to support the community. And do people need to register for tonight, Sharon? Yes, um, we have up on our Facebook page. Um, we have Eventbrite or they can come along. If any businesses, they can still come along tonight. But on our Facebook page or you can actually um, ring Mallow Chamber. Estelle is there at the other end of the phone. Uh, she can take your booking. No, we're very excited. Um, it's for tonight. Like Adam Harris is on his way down from Dublin. Uh, he's very, very... Brilliant uh, speaker. He's a brilliant yeah, speaker. I'm really looking he's, forward to picking him up off the train there. Yeah, Adam, uh, uh, Adam is, you know, such an advocate. He's, he's, he, he, he is autistic uh, himself, but he's such an advocate for um, autistic people because he's such a great speaker. He's such a great speaker, but he's living it, Patricia. I do believe he's living it himself. Yeah, yeah. So he's gone through it every day. So he knows, he knows the... Um, he knows the ins and outs. He knows. So he's he's very, very informative, a lovely man. So we are really excited. Well um, done. Well, and, and well done for, for Chamber, for, for, for Mallow Chamber, for kicking off this uh, initiative. And it obviously, it will take time before you'll get that status of an autism friendly town, I take it. Oh, certainly. Like everything, Rome isn't built in a day. <laughs> um, it's baby steps. Yeah. It's okay. baby steps. And like that, we want to bring the business with us. Um, but I think take it slow, um, as you say, with simple steps. And and that's the way to go. And hopefully we will build on it to make Mallow an autism friendly town. OK, well done. Well done. And how how is the florist business going? Are, are people back buying flowers again? I mean, you took a bit of a hammering during COVID. Oh, they are indeed. They are indeed. Yeah, they are great. indeed. Great. They are indeed. It's all it's all good out there. Um, everything is um, positive again out there, and it's to keep is to keep that frame 
um, frame of mind out there as well. Like um, Mallow Chamber have been back doing events, which is absolutely fabulous. This is a great event to have in Mallow in Springford Hall tonight. And um, we have a lot of numbers registered. So we'd like to thank all of the business community that have registered with us tonight. Um, I know they all work a full day and they're coming out there tonight. So we really appreciate it. Yeah, because this only works if everybody, everybody commits. Yeah, you ha- if everyone comes... Uh, yeah, you, you have to get something like this okay. off the ground. OK, we leave it there. Uh, Sharon, good luck with it uh, this evening. And thank you so much, Patricia. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. you. Bye bye. That yeah, is uh, Sharon uh, Craig, who is the president of Mallow Chamber on that, hoping to make Mallow an autism friendly town. 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. John Paul taking your calls. Just seen a text uh, in uh, following my chat with uh, Social Justice Ireland, who are saying the social contract uh, is broken. And Michelle Murphy, one of their um, one of their analysis at Social Justice Ireland, is calling on the government to say, look, you're awash with money at the moment. You need to do something. You need to invest. But we do know that the uh, minister, certainly Minister Michael McGrath, is uh, talking about future proofing and uh, he sees the need for, you know, we have we know we have an ageing population for sure. uh, And he's saying that the money needs to be put away, maybe pay down some of the large government debt we have in this country but put the money away for a rainy day and you know as, as I mentioned some people are saying it's bucketing down with torrential rain at the moment we need the money now and social justice are saying you know money needs to be spent now but somebody says so is social justice Ireland suggesting increasing the pension age and increasing people's PRSI to provide a more regular and guaranteed tax take to provide for the pensions rather than sticking the 65 billion which as this listener says is not guaranteed into a uh, pension pot. Well, no, I don't I don't think social justice are saying uh, saying that. I think, you know, their main point is that improving liver, living standards, it's not an either or decision. It's, you know, we need to improve the living standards of, of people today. And they're making the point that they, you know, the government will accept themselves. They are awash with money at the moment. Now, they'll absolutely say that the 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 corporation uh, tax they don't know how long it's going to last. But in fairness, we've been hearing that for a good number every year when the corporation tax come in and they're off the Richter scale. We'll hear whoever is the Minister for Finance saying, oh, we can't guarantee those uh, next year. And then they'll come in next year and they'll even be higher. So I think this is the first time where we've heard a Minister for Finance say it is expected that the budget forecast surplus up to 2026 could be as high as 65 billion. And that's what he's talking about, where to put that money. So I don't think Social uh, social Justice Ireland are saying blow it all. I mean, they're even talking about, you know, this year's it's it's 10 billion, the figure is expected to, uh, to be. But what they're saying is that the resources that are available, we need to invest them now and they talk about investing them wisely so that we can improve living standards for everyone in society. And they're very specifically talking about targeting the the needs, be that improved public services and into infrastructure. And in fairness, uh, Michelle did say, yes, put some of it away into that rainy day fund and yes, put some of it away for an ageing population. I mean, they're talking about a sovereign fund. She's not saying take all of the money and uh, use it now, but she is certainly, Social Justice Ireland are, are against all of the money being put away into 
to this so this sovereign fund as it has been called. Oh eight one eight one oh three one oh three. Uh John Paul uh taking your calls. Tim is in uh Bandon. Uh and this is oh this is picking up I think on something we did yesterday. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. This is on uh prize bonds. That's right. And this was the suggestion yesterday from uh, John Lowe, the money doctor. Put your money into prize bonds. Well, no, I tell you, I, I, I did when when the when the money changed from the pound to the euro. Yeah, I had a few bob, as the man said, in the bottom of the drawer. So I put them it, I put it into the into prize bonds. Okay. And for a while, I did win. Twenty. Five euros, I think, was both oh, about four times a year. Okay, but then all of a sudden, bang, stop. Now the business I'm in, I I was involved with a lot of people over a lot of years, and I discovered, like speaking to people, like I'm speaking to you now, I discovered people had prize bonds, but you know, God, we never looked, we we never looked at them for years. Now, I know at one time I think you were responsible for checking up on your winner yourself. Yeah. But in recent years, you're notified of it. But there has to be millions in that prize bond reserve. It, it, I, I think it is actually in billions. I think the figure yeah. is, is, is actually, uh, it's, it's more than millions. I think it's in uh, billions. We'll yeah. see if we can find out uh, yeah. from, from the MTMA exactly how much is just in, in prize bonds. I know there's different government bonds you can buy, but it is prize bonds. But it's, but, and every now and again, will the topic of prize bonds will come up. So let's put the shout out now to see, Whoosh. have people <laughs> won anything on your prize bonds? Because I, I have a number of prize bonds and there was a period of time, I would agree with you, that I was winning. It was 75 euro and I think they reduced that to 50 euro. They were all small wins. But the yeah. excitement of opening the envelope and you're a winner but you, and you don't know until you turn it over how much. The excitement used to be great. But I have to agree with you. I would say in years I haven't had one of those letters fall through. It is. Yeah. It isn't, isn't that, but that money is there. And fr- again, another thing that people don't understand is that if you change address, it's your responsibility to, to inform them. That you yeah, have. yeah, yeah, because they've no way, they've no, they, they, yeah, they've no way of notifying. Well, I think no that's way. changed slightly now because you, you need you need your PPS number. But certainly the older prize bonds that we would have bought, yes. un- unless you tell them they and and I don't know how much they go digging to look for somebody. <laughs> I say very, I say no very, very little. <laughs> All right, we'll we, we'll see if we can get some questions answered from them. Thanks, and and good luck, good luck. You, you might have a win now that you started talking about well, your prize bonds. You know, isn't that you know? But I was a believer in shaking the tree. That's it. That's it. Let, well, let's manifest a win for you as well. Listen, Tim, <laughs> and thanks for your call. Good morning to you. I put a shout out uh, for prize bonds. Has anybody won money on prize bonds? And we are putting a call through or an email through to uh, the. Uh, people behind the prize bonds just to find out how much is invested I reckon it's gone into uh, Tom was reckons it's in millions I reckon it is in billions uh, but just let's see uh, and, and also I want to find out if somebody hasn't notified the prize bond office that they've changed address and if somebody wins what happens I mean what lengths do they go to chase somebody down to say oh gee guess what you've won some uh, money Kieran was on 
Kieran has in excess of €20,000 worth of prize bonds. That's a lot of prize bonds. Um, he has them invested. He said in the last 12 months, he has won €50. Euro. Uh, and in total over the years, he reckons he, he has won a little more than €300. Euro. And I suppose if you break that down percentage-wise, what you get on deposit at the moment, that works out, what, about one5 if my calculations if my maths are are right Uh, if you had that money sitting in the bank would you have even got 1.5% on interest inside the bank that's the the that's what John Lowe was making you've a chance of winning whereas when sitting on deposit at the moment people are making little or nothing Sheila says Hi Trish I've had prize bonds for 32 years not a single penny has come my way says Sheila Barry says Hi Patricia I have 150,000 euro invested in a prize bonds I won 50 euro one year and on another year I won 150 euro that's all uh, it was so bad I decided I'd take it out and I've put it into the bank instead but guess what <laughs> It's making nothing at all in the bank. You see, you wonder if you'd left it in, um, Barry, you know, maybe you would have got another few 50s, another few. You might have won something big as well. You just don't know. And says I won twice. I won €500 and €250. Doesn't say how long she has the prize bonds or how much, uh, how many prize bonds she has. Mary says, I got a present of prize bonds when I got married. Mary is married over 30 years. (laughs) Guess what? She's won nothing on any of those prize bonds. And they were were a popular present. They they certainly were a popular present at the time and I hope you haven't changed addresses since then Mary and if you have that you've notified them of your new address. Nicholas says my husband and I both decided to invest. We heard a gentleman talking about it. Heard it was a good investment several years ago so we both invested. Not a single win for either of us yet. Nicola puts in. See, that's it, Nicola. You've got to stay positive the, with the yes. That's not to say that you won't uh, win. And I'd love, because generally speaking, what happens is when we talk up price bonds on the programme, whether we're putting it out there or not, I don't know what it is. Inevitably, we will get somebody saying, remember you were talking about price bonds last week? Well, I got a letter through the post and I had a win. So let's just see by us putting it out there and all thinking very positively that we'll have some wins. Maybe some of our listeners will uh, have a win on the prize bonds. 0818 103 103. And of course, you'll never get anyone to admit on the prize bonds if they had one of the big wins. I know the prize fund has come down. There isn't, even though they still give away a million at some stage uh, during the year, but you'll never hear. And that's the one advantage to the prize bonds over, say, something like even though the National Lottery, you can hang on to your anonymity as well. But with the prize bonds, nobody will know. That letter will come through your letterbox to say, wouldn't it be lovely to get it to say you'd won a million? And it's up to you whether you decide to tell even another family member. You can keep that well, well hidden. And then thank you to the listener who contacted us yesterday and this led to a number of other listeners contacting us about going to the supermarket and getting your goods scanned and lo and behold you get home and you discover you're charged for something that you didn't actually purchase and I still can't work out how it happens because goods are scanned through. So I can understand how something might get scanned through twice you know, in error. I can understand that. But I can't understand how something that isn't in your basket or in your trolley and then you get home and you check your receipt and you've been charged for something. I still can't get my head around that. Anyway, the original listener who sent it sent it into us was using the sent it in to say it's so important to take your till receipt home. And that's what she always does. And she checks her till receipt when she goes home and, you know, inevitably everything's fine. But every now and again 
something will come up. And she said, I mentioned yesterday about being charged for an item that I didn't purchase. Well, great news. I called into the said same supermarket. I asked to speak to a supervisor. I was met with a lovely gentleman. I explained my case. He checked my receipt and without question, he gave me uh, my uh, credit. Thank you for highlighting it, Patricia, but it does make the point always always ask for your till receipt and actually yesterday afternoon I was in doing a quick shop in uh, one of the supermarkets and I did notice I deliberately kept an eye out I did notice there was two in front of me and I was keeping an eye out on the other till on the other side and one person went through none of the three people in front of me took their uh, till receipts so yeah I think it is quite common now that people are not taking their till receipts but as I say a number of listeners yesterday pointed out that they had that that's what had happened to them in the past they had been charged for something that they hadn't actually purchased and Mary wants to highlight the Main Street in uh, Charleville that we only spoke about on the programme uh, actually on Monday of this week because unfortunately seven people have been killed on that Main Street to say she was in Charleville Town yesterday she said it was about six o'clock in the evening and she couldn't believe her eyes. There was an elderly lady and she thinks her daughter was bringing her across the road. They were near the traffic lights, but instead of crossing at the traffic lights, they decided to cross beyond the traffic lights. She said she could not believe it. It's such a busy road. Unfortunately, we've seen deaths on that road. People need to be so careful, particularly in Main Street in Charleville. And only, please only cross at the uh, traffic lights. 0818 103 103. And Bernice in the city uh, says, Pretty delighted uh, to hear you featuring Donnerail Court on the programme today and hearing that the first floor now is being officially opened this afternoon to the general public. I want, want to wish them all of the very, very best. I grew up, says Bernice, in Mallowtown and I used to walk around the park regularly as a uh, child. And it's a, it's just a wonder to behold, actually, the whole estate and, and to have that as a, a, a free facility for the people of North Cork. It really is terrific. And the house now is going to, because you can, with the house opening up uh, today, uh, like there will be a lot more visitors coming to the area as well. And you can actually get guided. You'll have to pay, obviously, but uh, you'll be able to get guided tours of the uh, estate and there'll be there'll be paid tours of the house and there's an expert from the OPW one of their expert guides who will be talking people through you know why such and such thing is placed there and you can ask questions and all of that so we wish everybody good luck with that uh, Donnerill Court 0818 103 103 John Paul continues to take your calls texts and whatsapps are up and running 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Help is wanted on a dairy farm. It's for milking and for tractor driving. It's a full and a part-time position. It's in the Murnabi area. The number to call is 87 A management accountant is required for a manufacturing and construction company. Now, that's based in Mallow. CVs, please, to karen.obrien at osborne.ie. An office person slash transport coordinator is required from McCroom area. CVs please to payroll at mjkoils.com. And an experienced hairstylist is wanted. Full or part-time positions available in McCroom. CVs please to lavenderhairmccroom at gmail.com. Now you can find f- further details and take a look at more job opportunities that are available online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is 
C103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. With more and more homes now having a smart meter installed for their electricity, one local TD is asking why so few households are opting for smart tariffs. To explain his concerns, Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Christopher. Hey, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. Now, firstly, how many smart meters, smart meter users are actually opting for smart tariffs? How low is the figure? Yeah, so out of out of 1.2 million smart meters that have been installed, so the full target is going to be 4 million, so they're about a quarter of the way there. But out of the 1.2 million that have been installed, only 80,000 are availing of these smart tariffs. So that represents a figure of about 6.6%, um, which is extraordinarily low. Um, and I think the reasons, from my point of view, are, are very clear. And, and if you'll allow me, I suppose I'll kind of explain how the smart meters are supposed to work, because I suppose most households, don't have smart meters at the moment. So in, in most households around Ireland, they have your regular meter. Uh, you pay a certain price per unit of electricity, and that's a flat rate throughout the day. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether you use your washing machine or your dishwasher at, in the middle of the day or in the middle of the night, you're charged your, your, your unit price. Okay. So what the idea was, you, you um, the ESB networks are rolling out these smart meters. Um, and the whole idea behind the smart meters is that you could actually change, you could, you could charge a different price if you're using your appliances late at night compared to if you were using your appliances during the peak hours during the day. One of the, a couple of reasons behind that, the idea is that the consumer would be able to save money by using their appliances at more efficient times. Um, but the other, it was one of the main uh, driving forces behind it is that, as would have been covered very well now over the last two winters, um, during peak demand times, and the peak, peak demand is between five and seven when, you know, like hospitals, industry are, are, are still very busy, but also then you have people at home cooking meals, using appliances, etc. During those hours, there's a peak demand of usage, and that's that's when the greatest risk of blackouts present themselves, of, of just not having enough power generation to meet demand. So the idea was that we try to get people using their appliances away from those peak times. So they, that's the whole idea behind the smart metering. But the, here's the, the big issue, and here's why I believe that the usage is down at 6.6% and so low. The nighttime rate, so the cheaper tariff, the cheaper rate per unit, when you do have your smart meter and you're using it, that kicks in at 11 p.m., okay? Yeah. So you're asking people to turn on their washing machine, turn on their dishwasher, after 11 p.m. when, you know, if you have a young family, kids will be in bed. Um, you know, there are pl- plenty of, of uh, people out there who are in bed b- before 11. I'm probably not one of them. But, you know, you, you, it, it's just, it, it's kind of unsociable. It, it doesn't um, make practical sense. And there's a whole, also a, a health and safety risk, I suppose. We're told not to turn on appliances Well, we've, we've spoken with more uh, fire safety officers who say exactly <laughs> that. They say you would never switch on your washing machine, dishwasher or tumble dryer at 11 o'clock and then head off to bed and therein I think you're right I think that is the problem uh, with the nighttime uh, rate even if they brought it back to 8 o'clock I think yeah. people might be more inclined and that's exactly what I call for so we had the, the those rates aren't uh, the, sorry the, the times I should say that the cheaper tariff kicks in they're not decided by the, your, your supplier so the likes of electric or electricity they're actually decided by the commission of regulation of utilities so we had them in um, in our um, climate action uh, committee this week uh, and that's the exact question that I put to them that would they look at bringing forward that uh, nighttime race to 8pm therefore allowing more people to um, 
use uh, their appliances uh, outside the peak hours of 5 to 7, switching usage away from those peak times, but also allowing the consumer, and, and it would make more sense for the consumer to switch to that smart tariff. And I suppose the, the, the most important factor in all of this is that we are seeing households really struggling with energy yeah, bills at yeah, the moment, really struggling with electricity bills in particular. And Ireland is an outlier in terms of having some of the most expensive electricity uh, in, in, in all of Europe. This would be a real way of people utilising those smart meters that are already installed. And, 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 and also, I think if, if you brought it back to eight o'clock, I think it would also incentivise people to stop using their electricity during those peak times that you spoke about, five until seven. If you know it's going to be cheaper at eight o'clock to put on the washing machine or to take a shower uh, and people were going to do it at half six, they'll wait. Yeah, and here's a perfect example. So I, I remember when I was last uh, discussing my own utility bill with my provider, and, and they were, we were we were going through the pros and cons of going on the smart meter. I, we, I have a smart meter installed at home, and um, so we were going through the pros and cons. And I figured that because the night rate kicked in at eleven, and I wouldn't be using appliances after eleven, I said no, give me the flat rate. And I think a lot of people are opting to stay I did on the, the same. Flat rate. I did the same. So, I, so I looked at it as well, and because during the peak rate at times the electricity was so much more expensive I realised I wasn't exactly. going to be saving Yeah, you weren't going to be saving so therefore you and I are now on the flat rate and it doesn't matter whether we put on our washing machines or dishwasher in the middle of the day or at night therefore there's no incentive for us to switch away from those peak demands they need to restructure the whole uh, timing of this so that more of those I mean that 1.2 million is a lot of smart meters installed mm. there's, there's, there's a real opportunity um, I mean there's all, so many other things that we can do as a government uh, I think to, to reduce that peak demand usage but certainly to encourage people to use their smart meters but the, for me again I have to reiterate the most important thing is that this could be a real way of consumers keeping money in their pockets and saving money um, and availing of the of these because let me tell you I, I can tell you the, the, the utility providers the, the electricity suppliers they don't want that they prefer um, this flat rate idea where you're just charged per unit they don't they don't they won't want this move but this will force them into offering consumers that option to, to okay, go to the cheaper was, rate. Okay, and what response did you get? Uh, in fairness, they did uh, agree to review it. Um, we had the, the, the commissioners in there, they, they agreed to review it. <clears throat> I think there was broad consensus, consensus in the point that I was making. Um, so they did agree to review that. Uh, that. They did say that mo- the majority of suppliers were offering um, those cheaper rates after the, that 11pm. I couldn't believe that it wasn't all of them. I mean, that, that should be absolutely a, a, a given. But um, I think there was there was widespread... I mean, you couldn't disagree with the figures. 6.6% are availing Sorry, the smart no. tariff. There's something broken, yeah. there's something wrong. And, and I think, and I think needs, we're about to be it. fixed. And have, have we any hope of seeing electricity prices starting uh, to fall? I mean, we had the figures out this week. I think it's one in 10 electricity customers are, are in arrears. And the, the reason that would even be higher except for the credits that were given because it's one in four gas customers. Is there any signs of them falling? The uh, rationale is that they will, Patricia. Um, no, it, this is something that I've had to have explained to me in terms of how electricity price, prices work. And it takes a while for it to, to sink into to my brain, at least. And this whole idea of hedging. So apparently hedging, where electricity companies buy their electricity generation months and months in advance, I think you're talking six to 12 months in advance, is it to try to protect them and us against these major spikes in electricity. So by the likes of Electric Earl and Electricity hedging their um, electricity purchase in advance, that actually protected us from even worse 
spikes in uh, electricity during those really bad months of October, November, December. No, the converse of that is because they've hedged so far advanced that this is still we're, we're still with those prices. So we're still not seeing the prices come down. So it, within the coming weeks and months, that hedging period should be starting to lapse and electricity providers are now purchasing um, electricity generation at a cheaper rate. But we should see that come down, but it needs to come down faster. There's a lot more we can do as a government as well uh, in terms of, I feel that there's a lack of competition in the market. We're seeing a lot of electricity suppliers leave the market. We've had about two or three or four in the last 12 months alone. I think um, ESB uh, networks, you know, they've, they've reported extraordinary profits of 847 million 2022 that's really really hard to defend when you've consumers yeah but don't struggling. don't they say that that's not coming from the domestic use it's it, it, it well electric ireland are, are running at a almost non-profit but at the same time it is esb networks they are the same company they they, they do have a bit of a, a a monopoly for want of a better term on the market they have about one, over one third of the of the, of the consumers i think a bit more competition in there would reduce it and also we really need to see the speeding up of this new legislation, this windfall tax, which you've probably heard people talk yeah, about a lot. Yeah. That's where you had... Um this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Renewable energy generators, which is great because renewable energy is cheaper, but you, you had people, or companies who were generating their electricity through renewables, wind and solar, were charging the same prices as those who were, who were generating through the really expensive gas. Therefore, they were garnering extraordinary profits. We should have had that legislation in really in, in December. And, and last time I spoke to you, we were talking about the need for energy minister. I think that I think that is part of that call that we could have. We could see.
see um, we could use that those that windfall profits of about two to or I think it's um, two hundred million to six hundred million. We could see that go back into people's pockets, consumers and businesses. Okay, and and I absolutely accept when the companies talk about hedging forward and 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 all of that, which means we are going to have a number of months uh, to wait for electricity prices to start coming down. Therefore, do you expect additional electricity credits in the autumn and winter, particularly if? the electricity prices haven't come down? I know that's certainly something I'll be calling for. Um, and because, look, there's there's a lot of things that we need to get right in this country, but in fairness, the economy is really strong. It's performing incredibly strong compared to other EU nations. And we've seen um, the revenues uh, year on year are increasing and are, are even uh, higher. Uh, the tax revenues are higher than expected. So there's a real opportunity there for us to use that funding, that money, that revenue to cushion the blow on those who are really uh, suffering and struggling to make, pay their bills. So I would absolutely um, be calling for it. I expect that there will, and I expect it will be, that's what this windfall tax will be used for. It will be to uh, another energy credit to cushion the blow for, for both uh, household consumers and for businesses too. OK, and uh, just to finish off, I can't have you on the programme today, Christopher, and not, and not speak about uh, GAA Go. I think it's the one of those topics that has just exploded everywhere. Everybody seems to be talking about it. And I know you're on the Oireachtas um, Tourism, Media and Sports uh, Committee. You're bringing RTE and the GAA in before the committee? We're bringing RTE and the GAA, but we're also actually bringing in the FAI and the RFU and, and some of the other sporting bodies. And we're going to bring in um, not just RTE, but also Virgin Media and some of the broadcasters because we need to have a full discussion about how this works going forward. Um, you know, I, I this isn't about GAA bashing or, or bashing the RTE. I, I think what happened last weekend, there, there was pandemonium, particularly here in Cork. And my WhatsApp group lit up with friends who were struggling and scrambling to find how they could watch, you know, one of the biggest games of the year, Tip uh, Cork, um, as you know, well know, Patricia. Legendary game. It's one of the biggest, yeah. it's a mammoth fixture. It doesn't matter, you know, whether it's hurling or football, but it's especially in hurling. So people were struggling. Now, many of my friends would be tech savvy. They downloaded the app, they paid the subscription, and they watched the game. Many, though, are living in, in, in the kind of more peripheral areas of West Cork. And if you must have discussed the, the issue of broadband on your show all yeah, the time yeah. at this stage. They just couldn't watch it. So some of them downloaded the app. Uh, the the game would start buffering, it would yeah. stall, and they just gave up watching it. And then you had, um, you know, it, it is an age issue as well. Uh, we just we have to acknowledge that. And you know, I use the example of my father, who's a big hurling fan, who who um, he still has his old Nokia thirty two ten, and he's not going downloading the 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 Diego app. So what we need to do is get RT, who have four channels. They have RT one, RT two, TG Catter, and the news channel. And GA who are in charge of fixturing just to sit down and see if we can work this out to make sure that we don't have a repeat of what we had last Saturday. I mean, look, it's been it's been people have accused politicians of jumping on bandwagons. We're always the first to hear when there's an issue, and there was an outcry of of disappointment and frustration last weekend. So it needs to be sorted. Yeah, because I, I I couldn't get over when on Monday morning when we came back to do the program, the amount of people who were complimenting our own John Cashman, our hurling commentator, and and saying thank God for for C103 Sports because. People, particularly people in areas where the broadband, where they paid, they tried to watch it, and there's nothing more frustrating than watching something that's stopping and starting. Yeah, John is a legendary broadcaster, yes, and saved my bacon as well because we, we were we had a bit of a family celebration at home, and I was I was doing the cooking, um, and I had it. We didn't have it on TV. We don't have a smart TV in my parents' place, so we we couldn't use 
broadcast on the app. So we had uh, John on in the background, and it was <laughs> exhilarating stuff. I swear to God, there there was a uh, there was a lot of uh, excitement in the house. But um, you look that that's who we need. It, look, I, I'm all about the J embracing technology. You know, absolutely, they're they're it's forward thinking, and you know, with the amount of with the 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 way that the scheduling is compressed now, they'll have to think of an imaginative ways to to broadcast games. But um, you know, this this it can't be about money. This has to be about the GA um, fans first and foremost. Uh, and you know, it was great. There, there, there was a it was a packed house, and and people loved the game. They're live, but they're we always have to think of the people who, who can't make the game. Yeah, live, and you know? and you know what got to me was stories coming in. There was one woman now talking about how upset her father was, uh, an, an elderly man, uh, because he you know there was there was no way he was ever going to the match, but was all looking forward to watching it on uh, TV, and fortunately in an area where uh, where they didn't have broadband. Mm-hmm. Now she managed to get him out to a, a pub that was showing it. So he was able to watch it, but all week he fretted about not being able to watch it. But they're the backbone; they're the people that built the GAA, Christopher. They do, and they and, and they still will, and they're not going anywhere. They're still going to be GAA fans, and the GAA is just such an immense organisation for the community. Uh, but we have to think of them first and foremost. Let Let's ease this type of technology and wait till we have broadband right across Ireland. We don't have it yet. They're telling us twenty twenty five, but they've been saying that for 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 for. Um, a long time at this stage, you know. Let let's wait for the the technology to catch up. But in the meantime, we need to ensure that these, like, and I get the point. You know, who who says that Kerry versus Clare in the football is a is 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 less of a game than Tipperary for versus Cork? No, you and me would say that. But yeah, it, it's it's hard yeah. to pick which games to play. But I mean that that is a classic of a fixture, and and it absolutely should have been played. So hopefully something good might come out of this, and we make sure it doesn't happen again. Okay, and I know we had a statement in from the uh, from the GAA, and uh, one of the points they make is that they they are accepting that GAA Go has been the subject of considerable commentary, and they say we'll conduct a comprehensive review of its operation at season end. So it's nothing's going to change for this season, but at least hopefully they'll they'll be listening to people. Yeah, as long as we can watch the replay somewhere. That's it. That's, <laughs> That's it. Amazing. All right, listen, you mind yourself. Thanks for Thank you. Thanks bye for bye. joining us. That is uh, Fianna Fáil, Dáil Deputy, uh, Christopher O'Sullivan. C103. And we are going to Bandon Garda Station where I'm joined on WhatsApp by Sergeant Conor McCarthy for this week's Garda File. Uh, good morning to Conor. Good morning, Patricia. And How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, we start with, you've got five incidents to report that you are looking for uh, listeners' help with. That's right, Patricia. Uh, we'll begin with the Friday the 28th of April 2023. During the course of the night, uh, items were taken from a vehicle which was parked on the, in the Park Road area of Clannacilty. Uh, we were asking anyone that may have been in the area if they saw or heard anything unusual or have dash cam footage during this time to contact Guardian Clannacilty on 023-882-1570. And then staying in uh, Clannacilty with another incident this is to do with the bank card. That's right, uh, Patricia. There was a bank card was uh, misplaced or lost by uh, its its owner, and subsequently the card was used for a number of transactions um, by the person by uh, someone who had found it um, without the permission of the owner. Uh, I suppose just that we would ask people just to be mindful of their of their bank card and to make sure that they have it in their possession at all times. Um, and if it does come out of their possession, if they're unsure of where it is, that 
to get onto their bank and to get the card frozen until they can find it. I know there's facilities on online fo- uh, banking s- systems on their phone that they may be able to freeze the card for a period of time until they can ensure that they have it in their possession again and it hasn't been misplaced or take or stolen. Yeah, because with tap and go now, it's if somebody you know if finds or steals somebody's card until the person knows that it's missing, it can be used. So you you do need to be. It's like losing cash. You do need to be really really careful. Now, I don't know whether this is something that's going to increase since the time of the year, but there's been some incidents of thefts from boats. That's right, uh, Patricia. I suppose we are in the coastal area in uh, in West Cork, and there are a number of um, uh, piers where boats are are uh, moored. So I would ask people just to be mindful uh, of their property and to keep an eye on them and regularly check them if they can. Or ask people if they're not in the area to ask people resident in the area to uh, maybe assist them and keep an eye on the property. Uh, we had just a, a number, a couple of incidents in the Union Hall area uh, at Reen where where there was a damage caused to one or two boats and one boat was stolen so we're just asking if anyone over the past period of time would have noticed anything out of the ordinary or, or saw someone that uh, that's acting suspiciously in the area that they may just contact Guardian Skibbereen on 028 and again if they have dash cam footage um, they might be in a, in a position to um, provide saying for us to help us in investigation. Okay, and damage done to a door of a shop. This happened in Kinsale at the end of April. That's right. Um, on the evening of the 30th of April, there was uh, damage caused to a glass pane in the door in the um, in the port corner area of Kinsale. Um, we're just asking again if anyone noticed anything on the night to contact Guardian Kinsale on 0214779250. There may have been someone in the area that was uh, um, not not usually there or something out, something out of the ordinary that people may have noticed that they could just bring to the attention of the local Guardian. Now, we want to talk about fraud and fraudulent uh, scams uh, and in in particular, the romance scams. You're hearing about some of them. Yes, Patricia. Again, uh, we have received reports in recent times. Again, it it is an ongoing issue and and, uh, we don't want to be repeating ourselves, but it it is very prevalent. Uh, In the past week, we again received reports of persons who communicated online with others and the demands were made for money in what is known as as the romance scam, as you've highlighted. Um, We emphasise the need for people to be cautious and if they become a victim of this scam, they should contact their local guard station. Uh, again, we would reiterate the need for people to be aware of online fraud and not to give their information to people, whether that be online or over the phone. And online crime, which is known as, as I said, the romance scam, is used by criminals to gain money. And this type of crime is becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, what generally happens is they meet online and the person will ask to chat privately. Their messages are often poorly worded and vague and their online profile it may not be consistent uh, with what they're telling you. And they may ask you to send uh, intimate intimate pictures as well. So what you can do is be careful about how much personal information you share. Always consider the risks. Go slow and ask questions. Research the person's photo and profile. Be alert to spelling and grammar mistakes. Tell family if you're meeting the person and beware of money requests. And again, don't feel embarrassed if you are a victim of this. You see, crime. I think we're, that's we're that's the big problem, uh, Connor. When people get duped and get cut out, and if they've lost a couple of thousand or however much it is, they feel so embarrassed to think that they've been duped. But you, but but these people are very good at what they do. 
that's right, Patricia. People should be embarrassed. This, these are professionals in what in what they do, and they're very, they're very, uh, they 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 look for an opportunity and they will take it. So, and there is lots of people who are unfortunately uh, taken in by this um, by this scam. So the most important thing is not to feel embarrassed, as you've said. Stop all contact immediately, if possible. Keep all communications, such as chat messages, and if you have provided your account details, contact your bank and co- come in and speak privately with your. your local guard or you can call into any guard station and we'll be in a position to speak to you privately and go through what steps can be taken to for us to investigate and also for the person to uh, to uh, report the matter and hopefully put an end to the, the issues at hand and again I would also say guard.ie or fraudsmart.ie are both fantastic uh, tools in relation to providing people with information in relation to these uh, incidents Yeah and I think that one about you know the way th- things are worded bad spelling bad grammar because it's usually somebody while they're letting on that they're probably Probably just down the road, it's usually somebody in another country that's instigating that's r- the crime. That's right. That's right. The person could be nowhere near uh, the area or anything like it, and they're just they've seen an opportunity. And if if communicate avenue of communication is opened up, they will take advantage of it and will try and and, and get as much um, information and uh, with the end goal of trying to get money from you. So it's important that people are just cautious with how their online dealings with any people they're not they're unfamiliar with. Okay, and it is that time of year. We've got the longer evenings. We're we're looking forward to a lot more uh, brighter weather and good. Uh, weather so people will be out and about and this is the time to be very very aware of what items you leave in your car because thefts from cars always increase at this time of the year Unfortunately, it is uh, with with good weather comes the extra challenges for people who are going to scenic areas or going for walks or making use of local amenities. The uh, it is important people ensure they secure their care wherever they leave it. And unfortunately, as I've mentioned already in in today, that there was items taken from a car, and it's a it can happen that cars are left unlocked. So it's important people do make sure they secure their property. And I suppose just a couple of points. Don't leave valuables on show. Lock doors and close windows. Most cars lock by push of a button. Fit an alarm. Install a tracker if need be. Use physical security. Steering wheel lock. Secure your number plates. Fit theft resistant number plate fittings. Local motor factors can help you with those. And park under street lights. And consider parking where there is CCTV. Um, especially when people park at home, just make sure their car is locked. And if you can, bring your property such as laptop, keys, uh, coins, cash, anything that people can put their hands on, electronic devices, bring them in home if you can overnight. It just deters the would-be thief from going and attempting to look at the car. If there's nothing to see there, he generally he won't. Uh, he may or may not damage. He may not damage the car yeah. or try to break and, into and it. And lock the door. The amount of, of items stolen when the car wasn't even locked. And that one of throwing the jacket over the laptop in the back seat is a dead giveaway. It is, it is. If they see any opportunity, I would always often say to people, go into local media, if there's nothing in your glove, glove box, leave the glove box open, that's why not? Good. They can that's see good. that yeah, there's that's nothing good. there. That's good. OK, and also with uh, summertime, more and more people out on the roads. And I'm always conscious of, particularly when I, I, I love going to West Cork, and I'm always conscious of people on roads who don't know the roads. You don't know what's coming up around a bend. Uh, we all need to be very, very conscious of other road users and ourselves. 
That's right, Patricia. It, it is with define whether people are getting out and exercising. So it's, it's important and, and people are coming to the West Cork. It is a scenic area. People do take advantage of the short trip from the city out to, to have a, a day out in the, in the countryside. So it's important just to be for, for, take your time. Be aware of <coughs> busy roads. Plan ahead. Allow time for your journey. Be aware of the road re- users such as contractors. Be vigilant and be vid- contractors should also be vigilant in use signage. Tractors and large trailers. You have to be cognizant of, of these vehicles on the roads and again i would say pedestrians and cyclists should we always wear high visibility equipment both at night and during the daytime it's freely available and there's certain a certain responsibility on all of us to ensure we can be clearly seen and on guardi shock on guardi want everyone to realize they can be lifesavers through their actions and we ask everyone to slow down on the roads okay and of course on guardi shikana available 24 7 if people need their help that's right, Patricia. Uh, I suppose to reiterate the, the, the information is that we're always available 24-7, uh, either by telephone or, or in person. So the guard, local guard stations, a number of them are open 24-7, but we're always available on the phone. And we're only more than happy to uh, help uh, help anyone that we can. We appreciate all the public's assistance throughout the year and thank them for their continued support and hope that this will continue into the future. And you want to give a uh, shout out and a thank you to everybody in Kinsale? That's right, that's right, Patricia. Uh, as you're aware, the Kinsale Sevens event was recently held there, and I'd do, like to thank uh, the Kinsale community, uh, the visitors to the area who helped to ensure the recent Kinsale Sevens event was a success and was enjoyed by everyone who attended the event. Uh, again, I'd like to thank the local community and businesses for their patience and understanding uh, and to ensure that the event uh, went, went, went well and uh, to everyone's enjoyment. I would also like to mention just um, just want to thank everyone for their assistance and participation with our recent National Day for Domestic Abuse Awareness to go Purple Day. The interaction and support from the public has helped to publicise the supports and services available to people who are victims of this crime, which is very important. Uh, it was a great initiative to go Purple Day. Well done to everybody involved. Listen, thank you for that. Connor will speak again in the coming weeks, but thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Patricia. Right. Good morning to you. That is Sergeant Conor McCarthy, who is based out of Bandangar, the station. I give a shout out and thank you to Joan for drawing our attention to this thing as we were talking about scams and uh, scam artists doing the rounds. Jonah from Oi was on to say there was a man with a van. And he was in the Dunteheen Road area of Formoy yesterday evening and he was offering to do driveways and tarmacking driveways. And the usual story, oh, you know, Mrs, I was doing a big job today and I've tarmac left over. It'd be shame to waste it. You know, can I interest you in tarmacking your drive? Now, I, I don't know if anybody entertained the person or not, but it sounds to me like Joan ran, ran him from her door because she said a number of years ago people got caught out by this and that sometimes they'll do the work, but it won't be very good work and you end up then it'll cost you more to get it sorted out in other times then they'll take money from people and they'll go away and you won't see them again so do be careful if you want to get your drive tarmacked then go with somebody local or go with somebody word word of mouth take advice from somebody who's had their driveway tarmacked always go though with a reputable company so thank you for that uh, Joan and then we were discussing the smart tariffs and Christopher O'Sullivan making the point that even with the 1.2 million households that now have a smart meter just a little over 6% have opted for the smart meters have opted for the smart tariffs and we're told smart tariffs can reduce all of our electricity bills and we want to do anything we can to reduce our electricity bills but he reckons the problem is 
that the night time, the cheaper rate doesn't kick in until 11 o'clock at night. John and Cove said, isn't it a very bad decision to more or less suggest to people that they put on their washing machines, dishwashers, tumble dryers to put them on late at night? There can be children sleeping in the house. It can be a huge disturbance to a lot of people. But the bigger worry is what if a machine went on fire? It'll be more in the government's line to get the energy companies to reduce the energy prices across all of the day parts and not just for a nighttime saver uh, rate. Somebody else says, I, I also think it's very, very dangerous to put any appliance on at night when you go to bed. Uh, why not give cheaper rates earlier? Um, that way we could all save some money. Well, that's exactly what Christopher O'Sullivan was, was saying and that's what he's calling for, that even if they reduce the nighttime rate, which kicks in at 11, bring it back to 8 o'clock. But then somebody else says the nighttime rate works from 11 p.m. at night until 8 a.m. in the morning. If you want to get your washing done, says this smart aleck, get up early in the morning. Be up at five or six in the morning when you have the nighttime uh, rate. And I don't know how many people would be willing to do that. And thank you to people on prize bonds. Uh, Martina in McCroom, I bought prize bonds when my son was making his first Holy Communion. He's 53 now. So a lot of years later, he didn't win a penny. I'm still hoping that ship will come in. Martina, so are we. We're all keeping our fingers crossed for you. And somebody else said, well, I won about €2,000 since I invested in prize bonds in 1978. I love my prize bonds. Always looking out for the post because the post arrives on a Tuesday because I think the prize bonds are drawn on a Monday. They go into the post. So if you're going to win, it's a Tuesday morning with next day delivery that you'll get the letter to say that you have won. But this is instead of having won since 2021 but has won about 2,000 euros so it's done quite well it's done quite well out of it so well done 0818 103 103 this is um, oh people purchasing items in the supermarket and you check out a big trolley load of uh, food and if you bring your receipt home some people are saying I don't know how often it happens but some people are saying you can get charged for items that you didn't actually buy. So the general message is keep an eye on your till receipts. Eleanor joins me with her own story. Good afternoon Eleanor. Good afternoon Patricia. Now, How are you? I'm very well thank you. Now you copped straight away that something was amiss recently. Only yesterday. Yesterday yes. I was in a Ballycolic establishment yesterday and they have mostly things in the particular place that I was visiting and I had my list and I was going around picking up what I needed on a particular day. But I went up to Sweet Isle and I noticed that there was mint at 99 cents. So I decided I'd have two packs of them because I didn't see them for many a year on the shelf. So I took my things up to the counter and I had a rough idea that it was going to come to 12.50 for what I had in my parcel. And I normally don't take my receipt. But anyway, she put in the things into the machine and I decided I'd pay by credit card. And she said, that's 1309. So I said, no, there's something adrift here. No, but anyway, I went through with the transaction and she said, do you need the receipt? I said, yes, please. So I immediately took the receipt and looked at it straight away, standing at the counter. And I said, there's something wrong there. No, I said, "Um, the sweets are 99 cents, according to the sign below. But you know that, she said. I said, yes, but they're 129 on the um, on the receipt. And she says, well, that's only 60 cents, you know. Still your 60 so, cents. Yes, my 60 cents. Yeah. But at the same time, it was a bother to her 
because she had to take the whole transaction out and put it in, and then she put the sweets in from 129 at a reduced price of 99 cents each. But not before I think to her, well, they're marked 99 cents, so therefore I'm entitled to them. Yeah, and how many, how, how many more people, if you had a big, say, you know, 100 euro worth of shopping in a full trolley, you mightn't have noticed the 60 yes, cents. Yes, but this particular shop I have, uh, I've had the same problem a ah, number of times okay. before. All right, you need to be careful. And that's why I went around doing the average of what I was going to spend before I went to the counter and I immediately brought it to her attention. But she still wasn't kind of cooperative. Yeah. But, but she immediately got out a swipe card and she swiped out the transaction and redid it and had to put the mints in at a reduced price of 99 cents. Yeah, and I you, went and down you, the shop then and yeah. removed the sign because I said they're marked 99 the shelf. But it has happened to numerous times because I think what happens is they get end of lines and they put it on the shelf and the price tag is put in front of it. And you, and and you, but that, you do wonder as well because I, again I go back to fair juice to you you'd only a few items so you were working it out in your head but for a, a family doing a big trolley load of shopping we're never going to remember all of the prices when we get to the checkout. And I wonder how often does that happen? Well, I think it could be happening quite a lot because of late. Now, I have been taking my receipt from the shop because like that, no, um, some of the items would be on offer and it might necessarily come through on the receipt if we say they had only gone on special offer an hour or two previous and the signs would have gone up but yeah. it may not have gone through the system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to be you careful. You, you need to be bringing your A game with you whenever you're, yes. going, you're going shopping. And you, you're obviously good at the old maths that you were able to add up in your head as well, you were going around. The good nuns, <laughs> the good nuns when I was going to school uh, made you proficient in your, in your reading, writing and arithmetic, as they call it. And it was, all, it was all back in our day. It was all mental arithmetic. You did it in your head. You didn't have a calculator. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, it it does establish the, play, the brain for later on in years. It does, it does, it does. Keep that brain active. You know, because even my mother, who is 92 years of age, does these word searches yeah. and all those kinds of things to keep the brain active. Yeah, that's it. Listen, Eleanor, thank you for that. And, yeah, it's uh, important, it as is. I said, no matter what shop you're in, to, to, um, to look at your receipt and take your receipt because... If I had walked out of the supermarket with something in my pocket that was even old, 60 cents, I'm sure I could have been arrested outside and faced charges down along the line. Yeah, you'd be done for shoplifting. All right, Eleanor, thank you for that. And thank you, Patricia. No problem. Keep an eye on your till receipts, folks, and what's going through. And then somebody was on to us, uh, Marie. She worked as a checkout operator for some 20 years, so she's a woman very much in the know. And she said what she has observed, obviously, when she was working, and I'm assuming she's still observing it now, that when people go at the checkout and you put all your items up onto the conveyor belt not everybody puts the divider you know the divider for your between your shopping and the next person's uh, shopping he says sometimes then people can be chatting away maybe with the person at the checkout which is all uh, well and good but if they're not keeping an eye on their shopping the cashier will keep scanning and sometimes you'll end up scanning the person behind you some of their shopping uh, could end up in your but they won't it end up in your 
in your bag because I think what was happening to listeners that we heard from yesterday was an item that they didn't bring home with them ended up being scanned. I can well see that happening that you get home and discover I didn't buy that packet of whatever, that packet of biscuits or I didn't buy that jar of coffee and it may have belonged to the person behind. I can absolutely understand uh, that happening. 0818 103 103. Michael in Bandon uh, was in a supermarket yesterday and you know the self-service do, doing his own a bit and he said they're, they're changing the store around at the moment. So there was no type of self-service scanning machines. Some don't have a large enough area where you can drop the basket. Anyway, he was scanning an item uh, there's, it's, I, I think that should read there's a new type of self-service scanning. Anyway, he was scanning his items and he said whatever way he moved the handle of the basket out of the way, he ended up scanning an item twice. Now, he said it was a very cheap item. It was only 20 cent. He said, I left it off because I couldn't see anybody around calling for assistance to say I've put that at, uh, through twice. So he says, just to make people aware of some of the newer self-service scanners, they can be extra sensitive compared to the previous ones because some of the previous ones are scanning away like mad trying to get the item in so do be careful 0818 103 103 uh, John Paul taking your calls we are looking for pet questions uh, please to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie And we're starting with a cancellation that uh, due to circumstances beyond their control Annam Cara's face-to-face meeting in Bandon for May I think it was due to be held tonight it's been cancelled they will hold their next Bandon meeting in June and they'll advertise details closer to the time a health and well-being evening is being held in Dunmore House Hotel tonight from 7.30 with refreshments and a free gift bag the speakers are dietitian Eva MacDonald and physiotherapist Stella O'Malley with a cookery demonstration by Chef Martin Shanahan of Fishy Fishy Restaurant and the MC is broadcaster Jonathan Healy. Tickets are just €10 from Eventbrite are from Clona with proceeds from the evening going to the West Cork Rapid Response. Kidalry Community Development there next weekly lotto is this afternoon at four. Jackpot €8,500. And you're invited to enjoy Treasures of the Beatles. It's performed by the Cork Academy of Music and Drama. It's in the Seaward Theatre, North Monastery Campus, and that's tonight at half past seven. And one for tomorrow, the Caramese Singers will present a musical evening tomorrow Friday in the Muintinatira Hall in Botfront, and that is due to start at 8pm. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Staying on mistakes that can be made at the supermarket, I think particularly with the cost of living so high at the moment, people are trying to save money and they certainly don't want to be overcharged no matter where they go. Joan was on to say recently she was uh, purchasing three kiwis and uh, when she got her till receipt she said that's a bit high. So when she looked at her till receipt she had been charged for 33 loose kiwis rather than three kiwis. She pointed out to the cashier who said oh sorry about that my finger must have slipped and I hit the three a second time so just hitting the three for the kiwis she hit it twice so it came out at 33 kiwis well spotted uh, Joan. Uh, Eileen um, joins me. Do you work? Morning. Good afternoon, Eileen. Good afternoon, Patricia. You you work in Tesco in Mahon Point. 
I do. I'm a checkout operator. Oh, we've got a woman in the know. We have a woman in the know. Okay. Firstly, the story of the listener who was on, who the 99 cent was down in the aisle and when she got up, it scanned through at 129. How does that happen and who's in the right or the wrong there? No. It could possibly be that they may have been on offer and there was a label up saying 99 cents. Okay. Now, as far as I'm aware, but I'm not uh, totally 100% sure, it has to be given at the price on the label. If the price on the, the item you're buying is in the pack of the mint, it's the same barcode as the SEL you have to be given it at that price. Now, when Tesco's, they have a no quibble policy. And if we if the label isn't taken down, something is on offer, the offer is off. The barcode matches, you're given the item at the price that's on the label. So our listener was right to, to, to question Absolutely. the... Absolutely. And I, I feel she was treated very badly by the lady on the yeah, yeah. If that happened to me, I'd say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'll run down and check it. And I would say, I'm very sorry. We'll put them through at the 99 cents. And the girl even said to her, sure, it's only 60 cent. That doesn't matter. That's worth 60 cents. Yeah, and as Eleanor said, if she walked out of the shop with something worth 60 cent in her pocket that she shoplifted, they you would be they... in trouble. <laughs> you would. Like, you couldn't come up to my sit and say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm shot 60 cents. <laughs> much, as, much as you'd like to. But what, what about yeah. what, what about Joan with the three Kiwis and the and the checkout the operator said, sorry, my finger must have slipped. I pressed the three twice really? and it was 33. Well, it, yeah, it, it does happen because we have touch screens. Yeah. And sometimes, with you know, if the sun is shining, are you, you're, you might... You might take your finger off the button quick enough and it might go in again. Yeah. So you're kind of trying to keep an eye on the screen and watch your scanning to make sure, you know. But sometimes we do make mistakes. Yeah, and, and then, you, you know, know, I always find the people on the checkouts, um, and Tesco in Malinois is one I know well, they're always so lovely and friendly. People are chatting away to them as well while, they, while you're trying to do your job. Exactly. I mean, Patricia, my job, I get paid to talk all day. I mean, you wouldn't get <laughs> any better than this. I had your job. But anyway... <laughs> Like, I always say to people, I never check the receipt until I started working in the supermarket. And I say to them, always take your receipt and always double check it to make sure that it's right and your offers come off. Because, as you say, when you have a big shop, sometimes you'll be saying, Christ almighty, what am I after buying there? And you'll be like, yeah, well, sure, everything has gone up. And something might have gone in at the wrong price. Yeah. You know, or like the lady with the kiwis. Something, sometimes things will double scan if you don't move them fast enough. Yeah, and if you that's know? an expensive item, it could really put the bill up. Exactly. I mean, you know, like everything now is, like, you don't notice, you, I, I find for myself personally, I don't notice in my big shop, but every small deal with them say, how could that be that much now? And I checked my receipt. Yeah, I see. It's on the big one then. It's trying to remember the prices. I don't know if you're of the age, Eileen. Do you remember the time where you go into the supermarket and every item had the sticker, the price sticker on the I item? I do. Remember I that? I had a job when I was 16 working in a supermarket and my job was putting the stickers on. <laughs> it was a special machine and you go click, click, That's click. That's right, yeah. Yeah, you go click, click, click away. Huh? <laughs> At least then you knew, you knew when you got home exactly how much everything was. Exactly, you know, because like, like you know, you that people would come up with an item and they'd say, oh, but I thought it was that price. 
and somebody would be after picking something up and changing their mind and putting it back in a different place. But if the SEL on the shelf has the same barcode as the item you're buying, you have to get it at that, that price. price. And Camille, one final question. Self-service checkouts and this idea, I know that I know Tesco do it where you could go around with your little machine and, and scan yourself. Is is that putting you and, and, and your workmates out of work? To a certain extent, it will. Like, mm. we don't have as many checkouts as our shop is being refurbished. But I like to do it because, you know why I like it, Patricia? I can keep an eye on how much yeah. money I'm spending. Yeah, yeah, agree, I agree. But, like, sometimes then it went wonky on me one day and I had to re-scan the whole shop. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I'm going getting my hair done. My, I was, I was red like a tomato. I thought it was going to explode. I was like, I just had to do my shopping and get out and get my hair done. You know, see, technology can let you down as well. It can. Technology is wonderful when it works. Yeah. When it don't work, then we're like, oh my god, what am I supposed to do now? You know. Listen, you're like we're we're relying on technology more and more than our brain power. Yeah, but we don't want them to take over from people. Listen, it was a pleasure uh, speaking to you. I can Thanks see, I can see why people will love to go in and go to your checkout and have the chats in the band. Yes, you never know. I might see you down there. Someday. You may indeed. You may indeed. God bless. Mind yourself. <laughs> take care. Goodbye. Take care. That's Eileen, uh, a checkout uh, operator in the city. 0818103103. Now moving to something completely different because worries around the South Dock service in Formoy has been ongoing for a few months now. Well, le- local Fianna Councillor Franco Flynn joins me with the very latest on this uh, story. Good afternoon to you, Frank. Uh, good morning, Patricia. Good you, morning, you're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, you raised this, and I know a lot of other councillors did. You've been raising this at county council uh, level, and you decided to go all the way to the Minister for Health because you were so concerned about this. You've had a response. We have a response. I've raised this. Um, I put on a motion on the 20th of March, raised it again at the April meeting, and, we, uh, and I asked the Neve, who was our personnel in uh, Cork County Council, to again write to the Minister and South Dock and the HSC. And I'm delighted with the news at this morning, because at that stage we were told that the rumour out there, rumour mill, was that uh, South Dock and Formoy was going to be relocated to the city centre. And I'm delighted that we've now got, in writing, confirmation from the Minister for, for Health that the HSC... Re- remains committed to providing a quality out of our service with South Dock in Formoy. I'm delighted with that confirmation in writing from the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly. And this is wonderful news, because as you know and the listeners know, Patricia, South Dock provide a crucial out-of-hours GP service in Formoy. And there was great concern and worry and anxiety by the staff, the doctor, and especially the patients. Because Formoy covers a vast area, a very large radius, was all the way from Knock Long, Garrett's Plain, up as far as Waterfest Hill, all the way from uh, Lismore, uh, up as far, back as far as Kilabullen, a large area as big as Limerick City and County together. And this is wonderful news that I've got reassurance in writing. And big, big thing here, Patricia, is this, it gives comfort and peace of mind. Especially to young families who use it quite a lot with babies, and especially the older people. And Patricia and Listers, a lovely lady the other day said to me, Frank, I'm not sick at the moment, I hope I never will be, but it was nice to know that South Dock was there, it was needed. And this is something I fought with along with the other councillors and we won the day with a strong commitment in writing from the Minister for Health. And it's not going to close at 10pm at night, that was rumoured. Well, he put down here, 
committed to providing a quality out-of-hour service. Okay. And an out-of-hour service means the out-of-hour service. It doesn't stop at night. We had that rumour as well because it was rumour that the doctors were putting in place a scheme where they'd work from about 6 to 10 and then you call an ambulance. Uh, it's needed. It's definitely a very, very large area. And the good thing here, Patricia, and listeners, is this base, where it is located, it's ease of access, just off the M8, and it's serving, as I said, a very large radius. And it's comfort now to the, what the staff and especially the parents and, uh, and the patients and the people who need it. It's a critical out-of-hour service. And to the last thing I said, I'd fight in my back, we'd fight tooth and nail to retain it for my... They own the site, they own the building, so the costs are minimal, and it's a tremendous service, and everyone is very, very happy. And I'm delighted now that we've got that Good. strong commitment from the Minister. Good. OK, listen, Frank, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks uh, for uh, joining us. Uh, Paul and Don Garvin says, listening to Eileen, our friendly, helpful uh, cashier from Mahan. That's the kind of cashier we all love. Tell her to keep up the good uh, work. Uh, hi, Patricia. Sometimes on your till receipt, you'll find a different item to the one you purchase as it can be the same price or code. I've seen this happen a few times. I'm smiling at Michael and the sensitive scanner that he had. That funny lady, Sarah Milliken, had a story of an item coming up and she realised she had rested her chest on the scales and it came up as a melon, says Michael. And she got charged for it. And then listen to this one. Listener says, I know a staff member in a local shop who gave a refund to a customer who pointed out that he had been charged full price for a bottle of wine. The bottle of wine was 18 euro, but the price says it was nine. The staff member was made to pay the refund out of his own pocket because the management said the refund should not have been given because that particular offer had ended. Well, I, I see it, it will depend from supermarket and in this case an off licence, it, it will depend what, you know, how they actually operate. But, you know, according to Eileen, they don't quibble in Tesco if someone comes back or if she said if it's pointed out to her straight away, she'll sort it out straight away if it's the price on the, she- on the shelf is different to the one you're getting charged in the till. 0818103103. We're going to take a break. We are discussing pet questions with our resident vet, Jane Pickish. That's up next. If you've got a question for uh, Jane, can you get it into us, please? Uh, you can text her WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And we're off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where our resident vet Jane Pickett joins me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And I'm going to start with uh, two uh, questions in back to back and they're to do with fussy eaters. Let me start with uh, Maria, who says, I've got a young uh, cat. Uh, Now, she's just further explained he was a stray. We took him in. We've had him neutered and looked after. And she reckons he's about six months old, very much part of the family now. The problem is he will eat nothing other than bits of ham, chicken, and pedigree mini adult dog nuts. 
I have cat nuts. I tried to outsmart him and give him a fistful of cat nuts and put in a fistful of the into the pedigree bag, pretending to give them from the dog nuts. I'll put the cat nuts into his tray. He'll sniff the cat nuts, look up at me as if to say, would you stop trying to fool me there? Goes to the pedigree bag, rubs his head on the bag and meows until I give him the actual dog nuts. My question is, are these dog nuts okay for him? Are the cat and dog food similar, different? Actually, surprisingly different. This is a really interesting question and I'm delighted that she's asked. Um, Cats really need an essential amino acid called taurine. Okay, it's one of the building blocks of protein. And the interesting thing is that cats can't kind of manufacture that and they're really bad at holding on to that taurine in their body. So they need a constant supply of it in their food. Now, normally commercially available cat foods are enriched with taurine. So they have extra there to make sure that, you know, we're supplying the cat with enough taurine so that it, it can stay healthy. But dogs, dog food isn't. And that's because dogs are a lot better at dealing with taurine, holding on to it, absorbing it. And they don't need the extra help of it being enriched by their food. Interestingly, a lack of taurine in a diet. So feeding a cat a dog food diet can cause really, really severe heart disease. It used to be something that was really, really common in the 70s and 80s in cats before this was discovered and before all of the cat food started to be enriched with the special amino acid taurine. So what I would say is you've, you've got a difficult situation on your hands. You're doing your very best. I would have tried exactly the same tricks, trying to fool them into thinking that I was taking it out of the, out of the other bag. But what I will say is for prolonged feeding over the course of weeks or months of dog foods it's not that it's toxic or harmful it's the fact that it lacks that essential amino acid so it's not something I'd recommend long term what I'd say I know you're kind of feeding scraps of ham and other bits as well that's okay in small amounts but we really need to make sure that this little kitty cat is getting a full and complete diet and it needs to be a cat food so what I'd suggest in this situation is If your cat is not fond of that particular brand of nuts and they really just won't eat it, it may be best to cut your losses and try a different brand. It may just be like like us as humans, you know, we have different preferences for different types of meat. So if, if for example, the, the, the kibble that you're feeding um, the cat is a beef one or a chicken one, just try try a different flavor maybe. Um, also, it can be helpful to do a combination in cats of wet and dry food. So we always want the dry food to keep their dental health good so they have that crunching action to keep their teeth somewhat clean. But the current recommendation for little cats is that they get a mix of commercially available wet food for cats and a mix of dry and that's for their kidney health and that keeps things good um, because they need the hydration and putting the wet food in with the dry food may actually help to tempt them you can even get some that have kind of gravies on them or jelly based and to be honest they tend to to be really really flavorful and may get the cat onto another type of nut by kind of almost coating it in extra tasty stuff so really important that it's cat food that we're feeding I know it can be very challenging when they take an absolute liking to some some things like that and it's not the first cat I've come across that's very fond of dog food yeah, but it's and important long term the, the smell as well from the cat food can be quite strong and that's important for cats because they would rely mm. on smell as well wouldn't they? 
Absolutely, yeah. absolutely they do. It may just be finding something that suits your little cat. So best of okay. luck with that. Eddie and Mahan then is at the other end of the scale with an older cat, 20-year-old cat. God, Eddie, you've done really well uh, to keep a cat alive for 20 years. Uh, it's wet food the cat eats in the morning. But now, and I'm assuming this is something that's only started lately. She'll eat half of it, then she goes out to do her business and then she comes back in and wants to wants the rest of it. But she won't eat what's left in the bowl. She's insisting on fresh food. Uh, is okay. it what, what can I do when she's in perfect uh, health? Okay, so a 20 year old cat is really, really great going. Um, what I will say is that I'm, I'm assuming in this answer that we have a, a really otherwise well cat that all kind yeah, of perfectly any, any healthy. Signs of perfectly, perfectly healthy. healthy. That's perfect. It may just be a habit thing. I suppose when we get when the cats get to 20, that's quite old in cat years. Um, there may be an element of kind of behavioural change or senility creeping in. Um, and that's a possibility. So it may be that, you know, they go out to do their business, come back in. They're like, right, I want my snacks. But my human hasn't put new food into the bowl. So there must be no snacks there. So sometimes it may just be the act of interacting with them to feed them that they're really after. Or sometimes it might be that that's the habit that they perceive as being fed. So I suppose the first thing I'd try maybe rather than putting down as long as the food has been put out that morning and is nice and fresh and hasn't been spoiled. Maybe even just try interacting with your cat for a second when they come back in. Give them the pets, have a little chat, pick up the bowl booster around the food a little bit, maybe freshen it up with a fork and then pop it down again. It may be that they're craving kind of the attention and interaction that you would have as part of feeding, or it may just be that that's the trigger for them to realise there's food there. So I try those things first. And see how um, you get It's a slightly on. unusual one. <laughs> OK, a listener says, Hi, uh, Jane, I can't get my dog to take tablets that have been obviously prescribed by the vet. Uh, is it wrong to put it into butter? Because I can get the dog to take it in butter. Mm. oh okay so my heart goes out to you here giving tablets to dogs and cats it's really tough but unfortunately as part of their medical care largely necessary um so i suppose a small tiny amount of butter for a very short period of time may be okay and i'm talking the tiniest little nubbin of butter here Butter would be a concern because it's extremely fatty and that can cause problems with kind of GI upsets, vomiting, diarrhea. But sometimes a lot of fat in the diet can make the pancreas, the kind of organ that produces digestive enzymes, really quite angry. So if it's literally just a tiny nub of butter and your dog doesn't normally have a history of a sensitive tummy, then it may be OK for a few days. But what I will say is it might be worth having a chat with your vet and let, let them know you're struggling. It's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. Honestly, I wish more more owners came and told us that they were struggling with tablets so that we could help them out with it because there's a lot of tricks that we would have up our sleeves. So, you know, different little kind of um, moldable treats that you can get for short term medications that can sometimes hide, hide that, hide everything really, really well, work in a similar way to butter and lots of vets would have those in stock. Um, but also if it comes to it, your vet or vet nurse may be able to show you how to actually tablet your dog so to introduce it into their mouth in a safe way and a comfortable way for everyone to make sure it gets the medication it needs so I think although butter may be okay very short term it does come along with a little bit of risk yeah. I think the safer option maybe just have a chat with your vet or a local vet nurse and let them know and they'll probably be more than eager to help you out with this and give you some solutions Okay Hi question for Jane please our two year old German shepherd dog has developed a rash lots of scratching going on now we are planning on an appointment with the vet but I'm just wondering what what does Jane would Jane expect us to hear when we go to the vet scratching in a two year old German Shepherd with a rash with a rash 
there's a number of things that could be going on here. And I think you've done exactly the right thing. Making an appointment with your vet here is, is really the thing you need to do. So brilliantly well done for that. Um, I think the main thing I'd say is in advance of the appointment, have a little think to yourself. Has your pet been anywhere unusual on any walks where it might have been in contact with different plants than usual? Has anything changed in the household? For example, have you been washing things with different fabric softener or washing powder or different disinfectants around the house? Things that might be a change or irritant for the skin. It is possible it could be something environmental. So that's a really helpful thing to think about before you go into your vet. So you're kind of armed with that information if that is something you think might be the case for your pet. It's probably likely that they're going to do a few things. They'll examine the area. It may be that they might need to take some samples from the area. So they might need to take a little sample to look at under the microscope, or they may even need to do what's called a little skin scrape to look for parasites. Usually these tests are very painless, non-invasive, and, and really, really key in a lot of cases to help us get to the, the root of the diagnosis. So it's quite likely they'll discuss that with you. Look, the common things are common, <laughs> particularly with rashes uh, and itchiness. So parasites, I suppose, environmental allergens, um, they will be really top of the list. But, you know, other things like bacterial infections are really, really common or yeast overgrowth. But the important thing is taking that first step, bringing it to the attention of your vet and working together with them to to get a solid plan for how to figure this out and manage it. So best of luck with that and well done for making the appointment. OK, and my 12 year old, God's all the old cats today, Tomcat, <laughs> uh, starting to lose his fur, eating otherwise very healthy, but just starting to lose hair is a common in a 12 year old Tomcat. Hmm. Not necessarily. So if we're an entire male tomcat, it is possible that we could have been in the wars. Um, so I suppose as as cats age, if they're kind of even cats, even, at, have a even at 12. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that's that's even more common because if let's say there's a younger male in the area that might be challenging the territory. That's when the spats tend to happen. Okay. Um, so particularly if we have an older cat that may not be as sprightly as they once were, the, the young guns will come on and, and some fights may happen. So just, I suppose, look for any wounds or any oozing, any discomfort around the area where the hair loss has happened, because that would be a really common cause of hair loss in cats. I suppose similar to our last our last one with the dog, common things are common for hair loss. Um so itching and scratching is actually a really key underlying cause of hair loss. We may not always see cats at it as well because they're pre-programmed to hide any signs of weakness. So they're usually secretive scratchers and lickers. So I suppose the, the common things of parasite control, make sure that's up to date for their fleas and ticks and mites. Um, but also similarly, yeast and bacterial infections and kind of, I suppose, a, a rash that may not be super visible on the skin without an untrained eye looking at it are common causes of the hair loss just because the follicles are damaged and sometimes the hair can, can get lost that way. So if it's a new thing for your pet, I'd, I'd get it checked out with the vet, if I'm honest, um, because I think particularly with our older patients and 12 is not not totally over the hill, but we are kind of classed as geriatric. We want to get ahead of these problems for these guys because they don't has, have as much kind of natural reserve as when they were in their prime. As yeah, well. and you don't want them uncomfortable. And very finally, exactly. Mary wants to know, could you ask Jane, please, should I stop feeding the birds in the garden now that we're into the start of summer? Do you feed all year? I personally feed all year. Yeah, I so know do some I. people don't. It's somewhat contentious, but I do. And I suppose the reason I do that is so that when it comes around to winter for these guys, they're used to me filling the feeder. They're used to interacting with it so that when it comes around to the time where it's cold and they need that extra help, they know where to go. They're really familiar with That's going good. to it. That's a good advice. Listen, Jane, have a great week and we'll, ch we'll chat next Thursday.
You too. Thank Thanks you very for much. that. That's Jane Pickett, the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket. And she's part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. So that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Back with you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.